0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: Welcome to episode 67 of the GDPR Weekly Show, and this week we have new listeners in London, Ipswich, Bristol, Cardiff, Rochester, Swansea, Derby, Guildford, Doncaster, Petersfield, Thurrock, Western Supermare, Nottingham, Birmingham, Chelmsford, Manchester, Leicester, Leicester, Portsmouth, Staines and Colchester, all in the UK. And in Ireland, new listeners in Dublin, County Westmeath, County Kerry and County Wexford. in Paris and Nice, in France, in Geneva and Bern, in Switzerland, in Barcelona, in Spain, in Aveiro, in Portugal, Brussels, in Belgium, Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague and Eindhoven, all in the Netherlands, Hamburg, Munich, Berlin, Bonn, Dusseldorf, Cologne and Frankfurt, all in Germany, Milan, Rome and Venice, in Italy, Copenhagen in Denmark, Warsaw in Poland, Skane in Sweden, Helsinki in Finland, Libyana in Slovenia, Kadrina in Estonia, Moscow in Russia, Salzburg in Austria, Karnataka in India, Kanagawa in Japan, Melbourne in Australia, Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro, and Pernambuco, all in Brazil, Santander, all in Colombia, Quebec in Canada, and in the USA this week we have new listeners in Orlando, Pasco, San Francisco, Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Seattle, New York, Minneapolis, San Diego, Denver, Phoenix, Albany, Los Angeles, Rochester and West Palm Beach. So a big welcome to all of you from right around the world. It's great to have you all along as new listeners. I hope you become regular listeners to the show and uh, join the 10,000 or so people who now now listening every week to catch up on... Uh, 30 minutes of news from the world of GDPR and I really appreciate you all taking 30 minutes out of your week to listen to the show. I hope you find it useful, informative and entertaining and if you have any feedback as always feel free to drop me an email to podcasts at that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk I do read every single comment that I receive and I really appreciate all your feedback it's great to have such good feedback from, from you. And also to hear what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, ideas that you have for new features, uh, people you would like to see me interview. Uh, so all good, useful things that I try to endeavour to build into the content of the GDPR Weekly Show. I received so many emails, of course, I can't reply to them individually, but please be assured your emails are read, and wherever possible, we look to use your ideas in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. So, in just a few moments, I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: Check us out on Facebook.
1: So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have an update on some legal action taking place against Facebook, in which Facebook now claims that all users who've accepted new terms and conditions on or after the 25th of May 2018 have knownly entered into an advertising contract to receive ads from Facebook or its partners. We then also have a look at a decision by the Irish RACO on WhatsApp over right, some privacy concerns, and that decision has now been deferred until early 2020. We have news of a data breach at the Isle of Man operation of the Cayman National Bank. We have news that the ICO has told the programmatic ad industry that its patience is wearing thin. The Brexit Party is being investigated by the ICO for not complying with data subject access requests within required timescale. We have an article which follows on from an article we ran last week about the Austrian authorities setting up a whitelist that indicates where a data privacy impact assessment, a DPIA, would not normally be required. So we have some details on that for you. And then finally this week we have news of a data breach at games developer Wizards of the Coast. So as always, a mixed bag of articles which we hope you find interesting and entertaining.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: We begin this week with the astonishing news that Facebook told the court in Vienna that we don't need users' consent to process data. Facebook went on to say that since May 25th, 2018, when GDPR came into force, it has been collecting and processing data without users' consent. The admission will shock most governments and privacy groups, especially after multiple public statements by Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, insisting that the company adhere to all privacy laws. The statement came this week in a case before the Vienna Regional Court. The case has been brought by the European Privacy Advocacy Group Neub.eu or NOYB.eu. The group, led by privacy advocate Matt Swembs sought to prove that Facebook was deliberately circumventing GDPR and continuing to process users' personally identifiable information. To respond to the claims by noib.eu, Facebook sent Cecilia Alvarez, Privacy Policy Director of Facebook in Europe. It agreed that she would be the appropriate person to answer questions about how Facebook was handling data. However, when she was questioned, Alvarez was unable to answer the questions put to her. In the press release from NOYB, they say Facebook's lawyers argue that she lacked the technical understanding to answer questions on Facebook's handling of personal data. As a result, the case has now been postponed to February 2020. The court has made clear it will expect Facebook to provide someone more competent to answer the technical questions from NOYB. The basic pretext behind this is that Facebook claims it is no longer bound by GDPR because of the way it's changed its terms and conditions. It's relying on Article 6, Paragraph 1, Paragraph B of the GDPR, which states processing is necessary for the performance of a contract to which the data subject is party or in order to take steps at the request of the data subject prior to entering into a contract. In court, the lawyers for Facebook said when users accepted its new terms and conditions on May the 25th, 2018, They concluded such an advertising contract. They went on to say that this means users have ordered personalised advertising. Now, of course, it's likely that a good number of Facebook users are going to contest that and say they weren't aware they were ordering personalised advertising at all. But anyway, that's the claim that the lawyers are putting forward. To counter this claim, NOYB produced the results of a neutral study by the Austrian Gallup Institute. It showed that only 4% of users wanted advertising. According to NYOB, this means the ad's contract seems to be forced upon the other 96%. A lawyer for NYOB said there can be no question of an ordered service to the user. If Facebook wants to aggregate user interests and track people on the internet, As can only be done with the consent of users. Anything else would be a clear contravention of GDPR. So this raises two significant questions. First is, of course, how many users are actually bother to read terms and conditions? And we suspect that's probably relatively few. And then from that, even of those small percentage who read the terms and conditions, how many did read it understood the implications of the contract that it was indeed an ad contract? Uh, it's true to be said that Facebook is not probably helping its own corner in the way it's handling this case the court is unlikely to look kindly on the fact that when Facebook were asked to produce an expert witness, they produced somebody who proved to be far from expert. And unless Facebook comes to a rapid conclusion on this and brings somebody forward in February who can answer the questions, then it's looking incredibly likely that this case will end up in the European Court of Justice. Now, if it does end up in the European Court of Justice, and if Facebook loses, and they're both ifs at the moment, but if those two things are true, the regulators are making clear that it's highly likely they will go for the maximum possible GDPR fine. Now, you know, of course, that the maximum fine that can be imposed in GDPR is 4% of a organisation's global turnover, and let's put that into context. In 2018, Facebook... Re- Reported a turnover of 55.8 billion US dollars, so a fine of 4% would be 2.23 billion US dollars. But there are other ramifications of this case for Facebook too, because it's struggling with regulatory approval for its idea for a virtual currency, which is christened Libra, and it's already had several initial backers of that project now a step away from the project. And given a tend to say, lackadaisical attitude to this case in Austria, I think it's fair to say that EU lawmakers will look to use this case as evidence that Facebook cannot be trusted. There are, of course, the ongoing investigations into Facebook by the Irish Information Commissioner's Office and that's something we cover a little later in this episode of GDPR Weekly Show. And so... We will follow Facebook's case with interest, both its case in Austria and the cases that are being pursued in Ireland. And of course we'll always bring you the latest news that we can on the relevant episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: The other action involving Facebook or a Facebook company this week involves WhatsApp. Ireland's ICO has been investigating WhatsApp for quite some time to see whether WhatsApp had broken the GDPR by not giving people enough clear information about how it was using their personal data. The draft decision, which was expected this week, was going to say how big a fine WhatsApp owner Facebook was liable to pay. However, at the last minute, WhatsApp's lawyers have raised a procedural complaint, which now means that any decision won't happen until 2020. The Irish ICO said they had no choice over the delay, saying that some legitimate queries had been raised by WhatsApp during the decision-making phase in terms of whether the interests of WhatsApp are protected in the process that was being pursued. The ICO says they are therefore obliged to respond carefully to these queries. WhatsApp's concerns are partly to do with how the Irish ICO's office coordinates with other EU data protection authorities as it wraps up the case and whether the draft decision does or does not include details about fines and potential changes to WhatsApp's practices. For that reason, we are now two weeks behind where we were as of three days ago, a spokesman said adding a draft decision publication date was now likely to be in early January. We approached WhatsApp for a comment, but they said they were unable to give a comment due to the ongoing legal process. So if we receive any update on this in the near future from either WhatsApp or the Irish ICO, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: The Cayman National Bank declared a data breach at its Isle of Man subsidiaries this week. The Cayman National Bank has confirmed that it's up at a data hack without specifying the scope of the breach. The bank's admission of a problem follows claims last weekend that Black Hat hackers Phineas Fisher, had hit the bank alongside publication of 2 terabytes of data. Cayman National Corporation said in a statement that the theft is contained within the Cayman National Bank, Isle of Man Limited, and Cayman National Trust Company, Isle of Man Limited subsidiaries, and does not affect Cayman National Bank or any other operation in the Cayman Islands. All of Cayman National's operations within the Cayman Islands, including CMB, are separate and distinct operations from the bank in the Isle of Man, it explained, The two banks do not share common systems, databases, client information or email platforms. The Isle of Man Financial Services Authority and the Information Commissioner's Office, along with the Cayman Islands Monetary Authority, have been informed and are working with Cayman National in the Isle of Man. In a statement, Cayman National Bank Iron Man Limited's managing director Nigel Dortree said, Cayman National, along with virtually every other international banking group, is not immune from the constant attempt by hackers to gain access to confidential data. In this instance, and despite the best efforts of leading data security consultants, this criminal hacking group has breached our system, although to date we've detected no evidence of financial loss to either our customers or Tayman National Bank. Any customers with questions in the meantime, should email data inquiry at caymannational.im Periodic updates will also be made available and whenever we see those updates, we will, of course, bring them to you in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: We've mentioned the whole issue of programmatic advertising several times over previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show and this week the UK Data Protection Authority, the Information Commission's Office, the ICO, has stepped up its warnings to the ad tech industry to get its house in order quickly if it is to comply with the European Union GDPR regulation and avoid heavy fines. The ICO held an ad tech fact-finding forum in London on Tuesday. It discussed the Data Protection Watchdog's latest findings since its report in June, taking the ad tech and real-time bidding marketplace to task on GDPR compliance and giving the industry six months to get its act in order. This summer, the ICO had already said that the industry's current real-time bidding protocols violated GDPR. At the time, the ICO had outlined key areas of concern, including issues such as companies' treatment of sensitive special category data and the often substandard contractual agreements to protect how bid request data was shared between vendors. Speakers at the event on Tuesday included Simon McDougall, the ICO Chief Executive Director of Innovation, Will DeVries, Doodles Senior Privacy counsel; and the IAB UK's Head of Policy and Regulatory Affairs, Christy D. Denny Neal. Those attending included representatives from brands, ad tech industry executives, privacy campaigners and lawyers. The event was held under Chatham House rules, which means that attendees were able to share what presenters said but not identify them or their companies by name. The ICO's Simon McDougall said the data protection authorities look into the ad tech sector so far, had confirmed some direct processing by vendors of special category data, for example, ethnicity or data on someone's health or sex life, without that person's explicit consent. And he said this was a clear violation of GDPR. The ICO also found an overreliance on contracts as a guarantee of security, and inconsistent arrangements and terms within those contracts. Often, it said there was a lack of clarity as to which entity would be the data controller or which would be the data processor, in terms of GDPR. As for user consent, the ICO said it had found that it was inadequate, and in some cases, inaccurate. Transparency information had been made available to the people concerned. It discovered privacy policies at that lacked charity or provided conflicted information. It was sometimes unclear how users could withdraw their consent. The ICO said it also found a poor standard of companies assessing whether they had a legitimate interest for the collection and retention of data. The ICO have said that they are to provide another update on December 20th this year with enforcement likely to follow in the new year. An IAB UK spokesperson said the trade body is planning an update for its members in the next couple of weeks. Google's presentation covered its announcement from last week that it will strip contextual content categories from bid requests it exchange since to add buyers beginning in February 2020. Google also explained how it expanded the scope and reach of its existing EU user content policy audit program for publishers and advertisers and the audits for its authorised buyers program with additional focus on real-time bidding and data compliance. Doodle also discussed its other recent privacy-related moves, such as its Chrome Privacy Sandbox, and how it's determining how it can use federated learning and cohort models rather than cookies for personalised ad targeting. One attendee at the conference, who did not wish to be named, expressed some concern over the sheer amount of audits that could be set to take place between various players in the tech daisy chain it's not commercial to have 10 different customers review your business because you'll simply forever be in audit, it said. Johnny Ryan from browser company Brave said it was a good meeting but we should have had it in 2001. Which perhaps sums up the state of where we are in terms of programmatic advertising and GDPR compliance. However, we are expecting an update from the ICO on this before the end of December and we will bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: The Brexit Party here in the UK is being investigated finding complaints that it failed to hand over the personal data that it holds on voters. The Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has launched an investigation in response to complaints that the Brexit Party had failed to answer requests for data. Under GDPR, of course, any person can make a data subject access request to an organisation for a copy of their personal information. Unless the request is especially complicated, the organisation is expected to provide a response with all the data within 30 days of the request. A Brexit Party spokesperson said the majority of the subject access requests dated back to the European elections in May. Given that we're now in November, that is, just well outside the 30 days. During the European elections, there was a coordinated attempt by campaigners to flood the Brexit Party with subject access requests, the spokesman said. All political parties are allowed access to the electoral register so they can send literature to voters. However, inaccurate claims circulated on social media claimed that the Brexit Party had acquired people's addresses improperly, leading to the written requests asking for access to information. It is known that some pro-EU groups have launched Twitter campaigns with the tweets describing how to get your personal details and what the Brexit Party is going to do with them. However, some of these tweets did also suggest that subject access requests could be used to interfere with the work of the Brexit Party. One tweet said, European GDPR rules can be weaponised to stop political parties using our data to manipulate us. If a thousand people demanded to see all their data, any organisation would be very busy, to say the least. Under GDPR, an organisation does not have to respond to requests that are manifestly unfounded or excessive. However, excessive here would be taken to be more than one request from the same person, not excessive in terms of a thousand requests from a thousand different people. That would not be a justifiable defence to not provide the information. We understand that the ICO has given the Brexit Party a deadline of the 22nd of November, so that was yesterday, to answer all the requests for data. We will be checking with the Brexit Party this coming week whether they have actually now done that. The Brexit Party spokesman said we have responded to the vast majority of requests and that we will meet the deadline agreed with the ICO. The Brexit party follows all regulations and works to meet the highest standards. The ICO, for their part, were very guarded in what they were prepared to say, which is understandable given that we are in a period of perda leading up to the general election. In a statement, the ICO said, As a public body, the ICO has to consider its responsibilities during the pre-election period. Our regulatory work continues as usual, but we will not be commenting publicly on every issue raised during the general election. We will, however, be closely monitoring how personal data is being used during political campaigns and making sure that all parties and campaigns are aware of their responsibilities under data protection and direct marketing laws. This is not the first time a political party has failed to respond to data subject access requests. In August... The majority of complaints to the ICO about political parties' use data were directed at Labour. But of course at the time the Brexit party was not active, so it's not perhaps a fair comparison. Most of the complaints against Labour concerned Labour party's failure to respond to subject access requests. If we do get any update on this from the ICO or from the Brexit party, we will of course bring it to you in an upcoming episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: If you listened to the GDPR Weekly Show last week, you would have heard us mention about the Austrian authorities drawing up a blacklist and a whitelist of when data privacy impact assessments were required and when they weren't. And... I thought this week I'd concentrate on the whitelist because it's actually really interesting on the things that they're saying do not need, do not need you to carry out a data privacy impact assessment. And those are specifically the processing and maintaining of personal data for payroll, salary, pay and compliance with recording information and reporting obligations to the extent required by law or employment contract law, the processing and maintaining personal detail data of job applicants, if the data was solely provided by the data subject, for small groups, the keeping of lists of memberships, the evidence of membership and funding contributions, communication with members or sponsors or private or public bodies, and in particular associations and communities, as well as support for members and supporters. The processing of own or purchase customer and prospect data for business initiation concerning the delivery or service offer, as well as for the realisation of advertising and newsletter dispatch. Inventory management, support for the exchange of goods and billing, ancillary and auxiliary recordings relating to inventory management via suppliers, acquisition costs, and the management of the allocation of hardware and software to computer system users. The processing of personal data in the context of registers, evidence, or books established by union, federal, or land law, provided that no personal data was processed within the meanings of Article 9 and 10 of GDPR. Username and password management and system access logging. The control of the right of access to buildings and demarcated areas by the owner or authorised user by means of systems that process personal data automatically with no biometric data being processed. The mere real-time rendering of facial images is covered by this exception. CCTV in areas for which the person responsible has power of disposal. Specifically, the CCTV may not extend spatially beyond your property, with the exception of a possibly unavoidable inclusion of public traffic areas to the extent of up to half a metre measured from the property boundary. Moreover, this exception does not apply where CCTV is operated in places that represent the very personal sphere of the life of persons. It's also important under this that if CCTV is not to require a data privacy impact assessment, then the recorded CCTV, must be deleted by the person in charge no later than 72 hours after the event took place unless the longer storage period has been expressly stipulated by law. Patient administration and fee billing of individual physicians, dentists and opticians as well as patient client administration and fee billing of other self-employed or self-employed healthcare providers and pharmacies. Data processing in legal and business consulting professions such as individual lawyers, notaries, patent attorneys, accountants, tax consultants and management consultants in the context of their professional practice. The provision of estimates, financial accounting, payment transactions, report preparation, accounting, auxiliary and auxiliary bookkeeping and evaluation of budget control data, strategic controlling and liquidity management, final accounts, annual accounts and statutory audits and accounts the prescribing, collecting and billing of publicly regulated fees and charges by the federal government, municipalities, municipal associations and other bodies governed by public law and perhaps and perhaps of great interest to those organising events, data processing for the organisation of public and private events such as the Invitation and Registration of Participants the organisation of travel and stays, the provision of services to participants and communication before and after the event, the billing of cash benefits, for example fees and travel expenses, the handling of cultural programmes, the submission of documents and the production of image and sound recordings related to the event. All do not require a data privacy impact assessment. And for events involving awards and honours, the data processing for the awarding of prizes and decorations or similar awards, including related preliminary tests. So, all in all, there are quite a number of items that have now been ruled to not require a data privacy impact assessment. And so perhaps that should reduce the amount of work that data protection officers are having to do working with uh, clients, clients, or working with the staff to perform data privacy impact assessments. And Now at the moment it has to be said that this is of course only applies in Austria but it's expected that this will be adopted across the other countries within the European Union and indeed here in the UK in the coming few months. So we'll keep you updated on that in future episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host Keith Budden.
1: The US-based company behind the popular online fantasy card game Wizards of the Coast announced this week that it had inadvertently exposed its users' data after leaving database backup files in a public Amazon Web Services AWS storage bucket. It is believed the data was exposed only for a short period of time, but it was long enough for the lapse to be discovered by UK cybersecurity company Fidus Information Security. The database, which had been compromised since early September, included information such as player names, usernames, addresses, and the date and time of the account's creation. It also contained users' passwords, but these were hashed and sorted. So that made it harder for anyone to try to unscramble the password. Of course, it's not impossible, but it would certainly take a lot of effort to actually uh, be able to achieve that. The exposed data dated back to at least 2012, with some entries relating to mid-2018. Aside from the passwords, none of the other data was encrypted. Once they became aware of the data breach, Bruce Dugan, a spokesperson for the game developer, said, We learned that a database file from a decommissioned website had inadvertently been made accessible outside the company. We removed the database file from our server and commenced an investigation to determine the scope of the incident. We believe that this was an isolated incident and we have no reason to believe that any malicious use has been made of the data. However, in an abundance of caution, we are notifying players that information was contained in the database and required them to reset their passwords on our current system, he said. It is believed the data breach exposed the data of around 450,000 players and around 470 email addresses of Uh, Staff who work for the game developer behind Wizards of the Coast. Wizards said it had informed the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, of the data breach as is required under GDPR. The ICO has yet to respond to the disclosure. And so, if we do receive any further information on this, either from Wizards or from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show.
0: You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden.
1: So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to uk. You can find out more about us at insurity at uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com Insurity.